Anna here. Did you know I have another podcast? And did you know it's all about failure? Well, at this point, you'd have to answer yes to both of those questions because I just told you. But my other show isn't just about failure. It's about failing your way to success. Yes, success. Because the most successful people are often just the people who've gotten up the most times after their failures. Don't believe me? Go download Fail Your Way to Success wherever you get your podcasts or go to failyourway.com for more info. Now back to the show. Yo, people, Anna David with After Party Pod. After Party Pod is a part of After Party Magazine, a website determined to change the face and get rid of the stigma around addiction and recovery. Now, After Party is a part of RehabReviews.com, the world's largest resource for treatment centers across the globe. You can go there to see if your rehab stay could be free. Go to RehabReviews.com slash benefits dash check. What else can you do there, you may ask? You can get a Recover Girl t-shirt. Go to RehabReviews.com slash Recover Girl shirt. Sorry, guys. Anyway, you'd know all of this if you were signed up for our newsletter. What are you doing? Go sign up. RehabReviews.com slash newsletter dash sign dash up. Now here's the show. Welcome to the after party. It's time to change. You're just getting started. You can teach an old dog new ways and not just on Saturdays. Hi, you guys. It's Anna David with After Party Pod. How are you today? It is um, a beautiful day in Los Angeles. It's, you know, it's summer. So I bet it's a beautiful day where you are too. It's been unseasonably hot here and the season is always hot. So take that information and do what you will with it. It's been forever since I've recorded one of these because I got super, super organized. Here's what happens. I will schedule a bunch of uh, interviews, you know, two, three in a week. I mean, because it kind of just depends on other people's schedules, depends on when I I sort of vacillate between being totally overwhelmed and then like a little bit bored because I don't have enough to do. And nowhere is this truer than in this podcast where, so I'll have a bunch of episodes and by by a bunch, I mean two, maybe three. I'm ready to go. I just feel like I've got enough for the next six or seven years. And then suddenly it's like, oh my God, wait a minute. I don't have any episodes. Wow. Who am I going to get? Oh, I, who's sober? Who, oh, maybe they won't be sober. Uh, hmm. Hmm. And then I sort of shake the trees and come up with some people. And then I schedule a bunch of interviews. And then, you know, the cycle of life repeats itself. So that is why this is the first one you'll, I've recorded in a while uh, but you don't know that. And I just, that's why I let you in on the secret. So that is what's happening. And things are good. Things are boring, which is not in a, which is not something I'm used to. And I will tell you something. I don't handle it particularly well. Work is under control. Life is under control. Life is good. I, I feel like I've had a lot of people, by a lot, I mean six, the most, uh, saying to me, God, you are really going through something. Are you okay? You know, based on these intros and, uh, yeah, all is well. Oh, you know what? I got some nice emails that I don't have in front of me right now, but they were really nice. And I, uh, 
appreciate them so much. One might have been vaguely inappropriate. I think I've blocked that out a little bit. And uh, I was on a I was on a, a podcast called Since Right Now, and uh, wonderful guy, Chris is the host. Go find that. It's all about addiction and recovery. He says this podcast was an inspiration, if you will. So, gotta love that. And yeah, and so things are, I would truly have no complaints. So that's what's going on with me. The episode today is a gritty, crazy story. Uh, today I have as my guest uh, a guy named Joseph Naus. Naus? Now I feel like I'm mispronouncing it. N-A-U-S. He wrote a book called Straight Pepper Diet uh, that is available now in bookstores in LA and on Amazon. And it is an insane memoir about alcoholism and sex addiction. And I don't want to ruin it for you, except that I will, because he and I get into it in the episode, basically like a very high-functioning alcoholic, very successful attorney, who in a blackout uh, ended up, he'll, he'll walk you to how you get there, ended up committing a crime that he was... Uh, Convicted of uh, attempted murder and, uh, you know what, I'm not going to give anything else away. You will hear it. And he went to jail and was disbarred and uh, is a happy, thriving, healthy man today who's uh, over 12 years sober and um, doesn't even take uh, antidepressants. What? Uh, I wonder if he's the first guest. That's not at all true. But but anyway, uh, his book gets into the entire story. And yeah, that's him. So with that, I give you Joseph Naus. God, I hope that's how you pronounce his name. I first started taking drugs by chewing blocks of hash. Oh, my God. I think my copy has like blood stains on it from shooting up while reading it. Party animal. I hate to say that because that makes me sound Paris Hilton. I was on the, as right. I call it, the Autobahn to nowhere. I'm very lucky because would you have wanted to have a celebrity junkie for a dad? Happy thought. Okay, so <laughs> here we are starting at long last. Um, apologies for the sound issues. That's all right. Um, I can, now I have something to blame my nasally voice on. You do not have a nasally voice. <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, okay, that was nasally when you said that. You know, it's funny because we were just talking about voices and you were saying that Patrick O'Neill does not have the voice. When you listen to this episode, his episode, his voice was not what you thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of your I thought voices. he had a really smooth voice. I was like, well, he could be a DJ or something. Very, we should tell know. him. Patrick, yeah, are you listening? I will. Do you know him? I don't know him, but we're like Facebook buddies because we both just happened to write a, a memoir about complete debauchery and released it to the same community at the same time, practically. There were so many addiction memoirs that just came out because, you know, I've been, you know, because they got sent to me. There's been nothing for like a, two years and suddenly this glut of them, which is good. People are talking about it. Yeah. Um... Your story is probably the most um, extreme, intense one I've either heard through 14 and a half years of sobriety or read in a book. Oh, I did a lot of research. <laughs> I mean, what, what happened to you is, is 
is not the kind of thing that you hear about often. Yeah. So let's walk people through it. Um, all right. So um, let's talk about how it all started. Born to very, very young parents. Right, right. Um, okay, we're going to take it way... We're taking it way back. I don't <laughs> way always, but, but your story, no, no. I mean, every bit of it deserves mention, oh, I would say. You. Yeah. I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome, I guess. Well, my uh, mom was a heroin addict. Uh, dad was... They were both young, 17, 16. Uh, dad left really early. I think I was six weeks old when he left. My mom was a heroin addict, and she was ill-equipped to raise a kid and she basically she really wasn't a heroin addict for that long it's kind of the right. hook of it she's a heroin addict but the real damage came when when she stopped using heroin and just became a depressive shut-in right. that was the real damage at least when she was a heroin addict she at least you know she was cocktail waitressing and, and alive at some point right is she still is she still alive she's she's dying right now she I'm has so stage sorry. four lung cancer and um, not talking to me because of the but book she but read it she read a blog I wrote about her, and it was called My Mom's a Superhero, and it was basically saying, yes, my mom, if you read the book, because you're only encapsulating a small portion of her life, you think she's a horrible parent. No, you don't feel, I did not feel like that, that reading oh, the book. Oh, good. And then, no, and no. Then, and then I tell the story about afterwards, she was in this abusive relationship, I think it's yeah. in the book, and, oh, I, yeah. and we get her out of it. And then she like goes and works hard and gets a degree and becomes an accountant. And you know, and I was like, that's like the American dream, right? Somebody comes from nothing and makes himself, makes yeah. himself into something. So, but she read it, and it's so funny the way people are in denial because she was just like, I'm like, what is the problem? It's the truth, you know. And she's like, no, you didn't come pick me up that one day. Like these little tiny minutia of the thing, not the like, no, I wasn't a heroin addict. No, I didn't get arrested with you in the car while I was scoring dope. But right, no, right, you didn't right. pick me up from work on this one specific day. It's just crazy. But isn't that sort of like the human psyche in denial? Is yeah, that yeah. is that you know find whatever kernel of truth you can hang on to and ignore right, right. the big picture? I felt like she came, yeah she came across as as a tragic sort of I'm not going to say tragic hero, but you know I never doubted that she loved you in right. the story. I did. Was surprised that she did not show up in in court. Yeah, yeah. So was the judge. But but we'll, we're getting a tiny okay. bit ahead of yeah. ourselves. But but yeah. Um, and so yeah. And so you uh, you know very heroically get out of there uh, when you were like eighteen. Is that right? And you move in with your girlfriend. Right, right, right. I went to Cal State San Bernardino from high school and lived there for a little bit and then I, my, I was dating this girl for a long time. This angelic f- girl. Angel, oh, she's an angel. Are you, her, do you still talk to her? No, no, no. You know, she went through it. You know, you first get sober, you contact that person yeah. without the sponsor telling you how to do it and go, hey, I'm, just, I'm sober, I'm and, sober. I'm so, and I'm so sorry and yeah, you don't like, really know how oh, to. No, it was worse than that. It was like, oh, I'm going to write a memoir. Do you want to edit it? Or like, you know, just completely out of my mind. And she's like, uh, I'm married and have kids. Don't call me back. Right. And I was like, what? You know. Did. Uh, it was taking me a long time to get some maturity. I didn't just happen overnight when I got sober. I was I, like, you know. Well, yeah, how long are you sober now? Well, just celebrated 12 years. In fact, the book came out on my 12-year anniversary. Was that planned? Uh, generally, yes. I mean, you know, it kind of happened that way, but yes. That's interesting. I, I thought you were you had less time only because 
Um, my behavior. No, I'm just because kidding. of your behavior that I didn't know about. It turns out we have met, but but um, because of your behavior at my book party. Oh, it's true, oh five oh, years ago. I'm sorry. Um, no, because um, you waited some time in sobriety to write the book. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting since apparently you had plans immediately. To, you knew right away you wanted to do it, which is why you called and told her that. Well, yeah, yeah. I would, you know, I would share. I had very little time, but I would be sharing at these gigantic meetings because people would hear my story and yes. be like, oh my God, you got to hear this guy's story. So I was like, you know, a year and a half sober. Or, no, 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 that's not true. Like two and a half years sober. And I'd be speaking in front of like two or 300 people at a big meeting and people would come up and go, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And I was like, oh, you know. I mean, right. I, I had already known that your that, story you know, was pretty extreme. out of control. Like I read a million little pieces and went... First of all, that was bullshit. Like, mm -hmm. I know everything is true. I wrote a review on Amazon and immediately mm -hmm. got taken down and saying, that's not true, that's not true, there's no possible way that happened. Mm -hmm. And it got taken down. But then I was thinking to myself, like, oh, my, my story is like the real a million little pieces, mm -hmm. but even more intense, you mm -hmm. know? So, um, so anyway. yeah, yeah, so, um, okay. So you are, you end up Going, you know, becoming a, a great student, um, going to law school, becoming a successful lawyer, all the while this addiction sort of being very active. Right, right. Yeah, it was like, uh, you know, it was like, I was like a three-pronged addict, like nicotine, sex, and not, and when I say sex, I mean like porn and prostitutes and mostly massage parlors. Right. And... Um, alcohol and it was just like whatever I could get to the most like there was times I didn't smoke and then I didn't drink and I did a lot of the sex stuff and those times and it was all over the place the ironic thing is about is that when I actually did get in all this trouble I was not doing the sex stuff that was just like something that happened in a blackout I was drinking and smoking I'd given that up I was like that's too risky I'm just gonna drink and smoke but then in a blackout I right this fantasy stage I'm getting ahead of myself again sorry well you know but, what's interesting about the nicotine is um, the way you described you know nicotine addiction or being a smoker was unlike anything I've ever read like like first of all that you would sit and chain smoke a pack of cigarettes I've almost never you know I smoked for 13 years and oh, have yeah. been like off for I guess 13 and a half Wow. Yeah. Wow. Congratulations. Do you still smoke? No, 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 no. Um, I go to a program for that too. Yeah, I did that. <laughs> oh, you did? Oh, oh God, I could oh, never. Oh, I have to have invite quit. you to come and speak then. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something. I went to that, and I, you know, my experience with that was that, you know, I smoked, or, you know, I became like a regular smoker in college, and I loved it, and I, and I thought I was going to do it forever. And I mean, I loved it, then I hated it, then I hated myself whenever I did it. Um, and I would sort of vacillate between like five cigarettes a day and like two packs a day at my height. Wow. It's so hard. I mean, you probably know. It's like a full-time job if you're going to smoke two packs of cigarettes a day. you got to like... Commit. It, you really have to commit. Yeah. Um, and, and when I was nine months sober, a woman um, who's been on the podcast, and so she's totally fine like being identified with all this, this woman named Carrie White. Oh, I know. If you've ever run across I, her. She's affiliated with my fiancé. You know what I mean? Oh, she is. Oh, good. She's affiliated. She was affiliated with me for a long oh, time. Okay, okay. And she's, she's amazing. And so she, I met her uh, at a meeting, and, and then we all had dinner. And um, and I was, I left dinner to go smoke outside 
because that's what you do. And um, and she just started talking to me about about you know she's honey you're putting a smoke screen between you and God and and you know every time you inhale you're telling yourself I hate myself and all these things that oh, that wow. really hit me. And um, I went to a meeting with her the next day and I and I never smoked again. It was awful, but. But she you gotta hand it to her, right? That's she badass. Spell, um, I would never go up to somebody at a meeting who's smoking and do and say that, but it worked. Right? Well, we were at dinner, so okay. we had a mutual friend, so it was okay. four of us. And she's not shy. No, no, she's she's not. out to con- convert the world to non-smoking. Good for her, you know. And and I, and I went, and I I could never have quit otherwise. And then I stopped going, and I've been very fine for many years. And whenever I run into those people from the meetings, they tell me I'm going to smoke if I don't go, and I'm like, okay, cool. Don't think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but anyway, so so but the way you talked about it was so fiendish. I while I was heavily addicted to nicotine, I never thought of it as an addiction as intense as my drug and alcohol addiction. And it sounds like you did. Oh yeah, for sure. I had wanted to quit smoking forever, and never thought about it that way with alcohol. With alcohol, I was just like, I just need to drink less. Mm-hmm. You know, because I, I was a binge drinker, you know, and I never knew what was going to happen. I would drink a couple of drinks sometimes, and everything would be cool. Like I could go out to, you know, dinner with a girlfriend's parents or something and have a glass of wine. I'd be a total gentleman. And the next thing you know, I'd like, it was all or nothing you mm-hmm. know, with, with everything. I'm still like that. I just channel it to better things now. I'm what are you obsessive. all or Yeah. What are you all or nothing about? Golf. Oh, yeah, you're writing a book about golf. Yeah, a spiritual book about golf, but I'm just like absolutely insane and fanatical about it. And, you know. Do you know a, a guy named Eric L? Uh, he's, he is making a documentary yeah. about it. Yeah, my friend Jordan Shapiro turned me on to him. Yeah. I, I talked to him on the phone once about it. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, so do, he very much considers golf a, a very spiritual practice. Mm, for sure. Um, certainly bring out all your character defects. You really? Oh, yeah. If you want to know what's wrong with you, go play some golf. <laughs> Jealousy, competitiveness, um, what else? Lack of acceptance, uh-huh. the, the root of all pain. Yes. Um, expectations, um, insane expectations. Right. Uh, perfectionism. Right. Anger, control. Um, I felt as suicidal playing golf as I have, you know, being in Chino before, you know, like... like because you weren't winning? Just because you're just like... You put so much work into it, and then it happened one time. I was going to this tournament up in San Diego, and I put so much work into my golf game, and I was so excited to show all my friends that I made all this progress. And I literally get on the first tee and like shank the ball into the water, and just like it was like I went into a spiral of depression. Like afterwards, I mean, it's intense. So it's not, it wasn't short-term depression; it was actual depression that lingered. It lingered a while. I mean, on the drive home, I was like. I had a lot going on. I had just got out of prison, and yeah. I was still, you know, it was like, you're sober, but I lost my love of my life, which was practicing law, and I was like, and not to mention, I came out of there with some pretty heavy stigma, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus Christ, what's going on? And so, it could have trying been, to survive. It could have been related to the golf depression. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. My therapist is like two blocks away. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, I'll see him afterwards. Oh, you're going to therapy after? <laughs> Tomorrow, actually. But um, it is funny how close he is. Literally two blocks away. Did you know there are therapists in this building? And I know a guy, he came on the podcast, who I got to know him because he would be in the elevator going to his therapist in this little shared office space. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. They're everywhere, oh. those therapists. Yeah. Um, 
So were you in therapy before you got sober? No. I was, you know, I grew up in the Inland Empire. Nobody like goes to therapy. Therapy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The hell is therapy? That's for weaklings. Right. Therapy. Right. And so, oh yeah, so so when um, you were growing up, you ended up, uh, you, you know, you, you got beat up and decided this is not going to happen anymore. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to. Uh, yeah, I was a real, you know, I, I grew up in tough neighborhoods and I was like the only white kid and I would always be shy. I was raised by my mom who was really meek and so I'd be this really shy kid and really withdrawn and then. You know, I didn't get beat up a whole lot every once in a while. Not as bad as some, because I was tall, I guess, mm-hmm. or whatever. You're very tall. And, um, but then in high school, I had like an incident that really snapped for me. I was just like, I would rather die than ever feel like this again. Right. And then I got into my kickboxing career, which I feel kind of like masked my other addictions for a while. Because mm-hmm. as soon as I stopped kickboxing, I kind of dived into my other addictions big time. Right, um, right. Are you still kickboxing? No, 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 no. Right. Still, no, no. Well, and it's interesting too, I mean, again, I don't mean to get ahead of us right now, but when, it, when you talk about working out in Chino, that too, like that, like the, the, the level of, I don't know if you would call it an addiction, but that like two hours of like yeah. working out and like almost, you know, feeling you're gonna die is so, I mean, I'm a self-proclaimed exercise addict, and that blew me away. Oh, yeah. Well, um, oh, you know, kickboxing training, like, I did that stuff before MMA was popular, but mm-hmm. it used to be it was called shoot fighting back then. Mm-hmm. But, that, you know, you just learn this level of training that is insane. Mm-hmm. My opinion is the best athletes in the world are boxers because they go through training that no one else will go through. Mm-hmm. And... I kind of got a taste of that, and it was intense. Mm-hmm. And when I was in incarcerated, specifically in Chino, for a very short period of time, but um, I kind of tapped into that again to survive. You know, because you can't. You you need. It helps you sleep. It helps you kill the time. And it helps you feel tough. Right. Right. In, right. You know, yeah. environment where that's necessary. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And my cellmate for the majority of the time there was this absolute psycho. But in a, but a really sweet psycho. Yeah, totally sweet I loved psycho. him. He came across as awesome. Oh, yeah. He was wonderful. You know, Jim, I can't remember what you named him. But um, but yeah, no, I felt like he was um, almost part of your saving grace there. Oh, totally. He totally was. He, he was a, it, it was a bit of a, a tiger in a cage type of situation. Yeah. Like pet the tiger, but make sure he doesn't get too hungry type of thing. Especially right. when he drank. Right. But, uh, yeah, yeah, that was, I mean, there's, I mean, that scene, you know, like in the book where he's, I literally saves me. Right. Know, when I was out in the yard. Right, and, right. Um, yeah. You yeah. did some kind of stupid things in the yard. Yeah, it was really, the you know what happens is when you go in there, you like, I, I analyzed it very carefully. I'm like, I see why people are getting hurt. And I talk to people a lot about what happens in there. And they're like, the reason people get hurt is because they get involved in shit. Right. They commissary drama and all that and I'm like no 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 none of that but what happens is after even a couple months you're like you cannot be a human and not interact with anybody and do nothing right. so I let my guard down right and right. I was like okay I'm gonna go play some basketball this is everything's cool I've been right. working out I'm great I'm gonna go play some basketball I'm a good basketball player they'll like me and, right. then, and the next thing I know I'm like in danger right do you just do you think you just lose sight of reality too after I, well I just thought like they're playing basketball, there's guards all around. Right. I'm a, it's 
it's cool. Right. And I need something. I can't just do push-ups all day long and read the big book right. over and over and over again. You know, right. you're literally in lockdown in a room that's the size of a, of a small walk-in closet for sometimes days and days and days mm. at a time. It's pretty, it's kind of, kind of crazy. I, I look back on it. I mean, one of my things that I think if people read this book will be another nail in the prison reform movement, you know, like, like this is crazy. We're America. We're treating people like this. Like, but I have to say it didn't surprise me. I mean, because that's sort of what you, your story is very surprising, but th- that's sort of what we've come to expect, I think, from those stories. Yeah, but I thought it was drama. I thought it was Hollywood drama. Right. I didn't really think that shit really went down. I, right. I thought that was like some, you know, cool hand Luke and right. American me stuff. I didn't think they were going to put a, you know, a educated, privileged former lawyer in like, a, you know, Shawshank Redemption. You know, it's like, and then you get there and you're like, oh yeah, this is for real. Like this prison guard is seriously beating someone up in front of you. Right. And these are real gang members with real shanks and they do insanely violent, horrible things and they're all addicts, you know. It's pretty, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it just, it, I, in your story, I, I, I kept assuming you were going to get off. And then it didn't, so let's talk about what got you there. So, yeah. okay, so, so, you know, doing very well as a lawyer, the night before, oh, no, no, you get a d- bad DUI. Yeah, I got a bad DUI where I rolled a car off the freeway at 85 miles per hour and had a passenger, and he was slightly injured, so I got a .20. It was a felony DUI, mm-hmm. very serious felony DUI. And what happened after that? I got a felony DUI, and I was working at this big law firm doing really well, and, and I was just so humiliated by it that I was like, I have to get out of here. So I left, and meanwhile, we were fighting the case. Um, and I moved to Santa Monica and got a job. You know, I kept failing up. I kept getting better mm-hmm. jobs. So I moved to Santa Monica and I was there and I was working at this big law firm over in uh, the Water Garden, Santa Monica, and was making more money. And But I was making more money and I was drinking a lot and I could walk to bars. Mm-hmm. And I lived on Pico and there was all these massage parlors. Mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell? I thought I got away from those. but because they're grandfathered in, because Santa Monica used to be kind of a seedy area. Wow, And okay. they, so they have these massage parlors, and so that bad habit kicked back in, and I went to those a little bit, and, you know, it was just a lot of debauchery, and um, um, girlfriends coming in and out, and stuff like that, and then, um, you know, the night, should I tell the story of what well, yeah, happened that I, night? You, but, but uh, yes, but I, let, let's actually get into the massage parlor thing first. So. Um, possibly a dumb question. How do you discover that a massage parlor can actually become sort of a prostitution place? Like, is that something that just kind of in the moment becomes clear? It was really weird because when I was a kid, my dad had this fence company in Pomona mm-hmm. and we would drive, he would take me with him to work and I would work all day with him and then we would drive back and we'd go down this unincorporated road area, mm-hmm. past the unincorporated area. And you would see these houses, and there would be these old houses, and they'd be really clean, and they were massage parlors. And I was like 12, maybe, and I just had this feeling in me. Like I knew, I saw the guy, you know, to be, a, they were very discreet. They were mm-hmm. run, like I say, like a franchise, mm-hmm. like a really tight franchise. And you would see it, and the, you, I, I felt the energy. Mm-hmm. Like I knew, I didn't know exactly what was going on, but I knew I wanted a part of it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't 
know how I ever got from stage of, you know, because I talk to a lot of guys, every guy I talk to in recovery about this is like, who cares, no big deal. And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. Right, right, right. Like, you don't understand. I mean, people I will, therapists and stuff would be like, oh, who cares, you go there, you get a hand job, what's the big deal? And I'm like, it's, first of all, it's, you know, it's, it's slavery. That sucks. Second of all, it's like soul crushing. Mm-hmm. You know, but anyway, so you go in there and I don't, at some point I was just like, that was the goal and I figured out how to do it. And well, but you weren't just getting hand jobs either. No, no, I was having full on sex. Right. And that just sort of, you figured out how to make that happen. Yeah. It was yeah. weird. Yeah. It was very, I'm very methodical about very specific things. <laughs> right, like, right. You put the money on the stand in a certain spot. You take the towel off right. to let them know you're in. And wow, yeah. It probably didn't hurt that I was. I don't know. Maybe that's egotistical. I don't know that I wasn't. You know, some scumbag, overweight slob or something. But right, I, right. Emotionally, I was obviously an overweight slob, but right. physically, I was right within reason, I guess. Right. That all fair enough. No. Anyway, no, fair enough. I would end up. And it just became a thing, you know. And I would go to the same places and they would know me. And that was, there was a whole thing with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the most, it's such a fascinating thing. There's this huge amount of these massage parlors all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I would presume the majority of people that go to them are not having actual full-on sex. Mm-hmm. Some of them are. Mm-hmm. and uh, But almost all of them are getting at least hand jobs, which is still sex. Yeah. You know, it's prostitution. Right. And they're just allowed to exist. Most of them are in unincorporated areas, or they're grandfathered in, mm-hmm. and they rarely get raided. I have a question. Are these the same? I, I, I love massage, and I'll go anywhere. Are these the same places that I'm going in to get like my deep tissue massage, my shiatsu? Possibly. I, in, the LA, in the L.A. area, it doesn't seem like they're, I, I don't think so. I haven't really experienced a lot of LA. I did a little bit of Santa Monica, and right. I did um, Francisquito. Uh, I forget where that is. Not Alhambra, but right out there. Okay. Like there now, Alhambra and those that Asian area out there, Alhambra, Monterey Park, all that. There's full on brothel style mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. action going on down there, and uh, yeah, it was very systematic. You can. It's like a. It's like what heroin addicts experience. You actually said that, right? You. Or maybe there was a man who said that you walk into a bar. No, you said that. Uh, you walk into a bar and you you were in Paris. You walk yeah, into a bar yeah, and, and you, you know exactly who, who to talk to. It's yeah. the same thing with the massage yeah, bars. Yeah, yeah. You walk radar. in, you let them know, I know what I'm here for. Right. I know the system. I'm right. not a cop. Because a lot of times they would see me and they'd be like, oh, you you know. You could be a cop. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you know, you walk in there and you system and, you know, boom. And it's very addictive because I'm like, you know, they're trained. Right. To create the most maximum heroin like, rush uh, yeah. orgasm ever. You know, they know what they're doing, and it's very... And the thrill of, you know, getting away with this, Ill- like, illicit yeah. taboo. Oh, yeah. Um, I will say, when I lived in New York, um, I... Uh, a, a gay friend of mine, a gay guy, and I went to go, like, we're like, oh, let's just go get a massage here. And it was this place that I, you know, been to before, and we went into separate rooms, and he got a job. He's like, he said the guy just offered. And I'm like, that's what you were doing when I was getting my deep tissue massage? Anyway. 
Um, <laughs> but but so and so the the big night for you. What ha- let's walk us through what happened. So I came home from work uh, the night before, and I was doing the thing I I did a lot where I struggled with should I go out drinking? Mm-hmm. And I lost that internal mm-hmm. battle and I went out drinking and I went to a bar that I went to a lot called Liquid Kitty. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, and it was... Is that still around? I don't know. I drive over in that area and my whole body just goes like, ah, oh, get yeah. out of here. Yeah. And um, I overdrank to the point of where I blacked out. I probably had like 12 Jack and Cokes in about two hours, maybe two or three hours. And I went into a blackout, and I walked down the street. I lived on Pico, about mm-hmm. four blocks from that bar. Mm-hmm. So I was going down Pico uh, west towards the ocean, back from uh, the bar. And I went to an ATM. This is all in a blackout. I don't remember any of this, and I'm telling you. What? What I do remember is drinking at the Liquid Kitty. The next memory I have, I'm in a room. But let me take you there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I... So I know this from the police report and from everything, right. from the witness statements. I go to the ATM, I get $100 out because that's exactly how much money you need for an, for the transaction with, mm-hmm. a, with the massage parlor. And I go to the massage parlor, which is a old motel. It's in a C-shape, like those old mm-hmm. ones with the two-story. And one of the legs is the massage parlor, and the other one, unbeknownst to me, was converted into apartments, mm-hmm. single residence occupancy. And I, banging on the door, to the massage parlor. Which you knew wasn't open in your conscious mind because they were only open right. during the day. I never went to massage parlors during the night. Right. I'm very cautious about it. I didn't want to get busted. You know? Right. So I never did that. I was clearly in a fugue state and right. crazy out of my mind. Pounded on the door, went around to the back, climbed in the window. But what happened was, because it was a solid wall with shared windows, I climbed in the wrong window. I climbed in the one that was right next to it. Mm-hmm. And it was somebody's apartment. Mm-hmm. And the person's apartment <laughs> Was he was a total neat freak. Mm-hmm. He said this in the police report. So there was nothing in the bathroom trying to indicate that it was a per, a, a, present, a residence. Right. Not that I would. I don't know. Probably wouldn't have made know. a difference based on. Took off all my clothes in there, mm-hmm. walked out, erect. Mm-hmm. You know. Prepared for the experience. Prepared for the experience. And there's an industrial fan going. So mm-hmm. there probably was a sound issue where why the guy didn't wake up right away. He says he woke up. Uh, funny nicotine alcohol sweat you know disgusting gross and sees this you know six foot four 220 pound guy with a heart on yeah not a good thing right and we fight we struggle he run he's like running i'm tripping out and that's when i actually have my first memory that i actually can call on now is that i was in a room struggling and i remember thinking oh this is not my normal blackout do something crazy experiences is really bad. So I put him in a chokehold, which is the same chokehold that's kind of famous now because it's the mm-hmm. one that cop recently killed. Him. Right. It's the ones that they teach cops, you know. Right. And that's why I was charged with attempted murder. Right. And um, so at some point I've got him in that chokehold and I think to myself, like, I've got to let him go or I'm going to kill him, you know. So I let him go. I will go out the way I came. He goes out the front door. I'm still like got half my clothes on. I'm, as a good criminal, I leave my wallet laying mm-hmm. in the middle of the, with my ID out and everything with a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, him and his buddy that was in another unit, chased me out to this um, lawn mm-hmm. and beat me up pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I'm arrested and you know, taken to the, taken to jail and charged with attempted murder at first. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason I charged with attempted murder, like I said, is because of the chokehold and 
And um, then it got worse. I, you know, they charged me with six different crimes, four of which were sex crimes, mm -hmm. two of which I'm now a felon, a two-strike felon of which, and a registered sex offender. Wow. And yeah, forever. Forever. Well, there's some there's some stuff in the works that maybe they might go to a tiered system in California. Really? So it may not be forever. But right now, as of now, yes, forever. Can you talk about what the four counts were? Oh, yeah, yeah. There was, um, it was actually, um, well, what I was convicted of was assault with intent to commit rape and criminal threats. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people ask me why I didn't fight the case at trial. And the big reason was, well, there's two big reasons. The first reason was, that my lawyer, Mark Worksman, and my ex, Kelly, you know, they would say, you know, you, we could go to trial and we might win this case, but the problem is, is that the jury, they're going to want to punish you. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a privileged white boy breaking into some guy's house in the middle of the night naked with a heart on. Right. Whether you had an intent to commit a rape when you went in there or not, they're going to want to punish you. Right. So that was one reason. The second reason was, and this is probably the bigger reason for me, was the criminal threats. In law there's what's called like a directed verdict. And, and what that means is if you don't have anything to oppose facts, then there's nothing for the jury to consider. So the criminal threats I would basically be convicted of no matter what, no mm -hmm. matter what anybody thought, because he says I said these things, I have no memory of them. Right. Boom, that's it. Right. Unless they think he's a liar, and there's no reason for them to think he's a liar, he right. broke into his house. Right. So I would have got two years mandatory for that alone. Right. And after going and talking to some of the people and mostly... Uh, NA mm -hmm. about what it's like in prison, what it specifically, specifically would be like for me in prison, right. as who I am and what I look like, I came to the conclusion that it wasn't worth the risk of, of two years, let alone 20 years, if I got right. convicted on everything. Right. And um, so that's why I, I took the deal. Mm -hmm. But the, the DA's theory is that, is that it's interesting, impossibility is not a defense to a crime. So mm -hmm. if you... When you break through, when I broke through that plane of glass, that's where the intent mm -hmm. starts. So if I, if there would have been nobody in there, I could have still been charged with assault with intent to commit rape because I broke through that window if there was nobody in there because the, the intent happens at the time you break through the window. I see. Yeah. yeah. So the fact that he was a guy, right. they, they didn't think, well, at first they actually charged me with assault, attempted um, sodomy. Which, but then they, you know, they didn't know whether I was gay or not, so. Right, but like, it, it, you say in the book that you can't be charged with attempted, I, th I thought this was really interesting, if it's a guy, you can't be charged with that, right? Right, um, right. Which is is interesting. Right. Right? I mean, did I misunderstand um, that you couldn't be charged with um like attempted sodomy, uh, why? Why could you not be? Oh, I could be charged with attempted sodomy, not attempted rape. Yeah. Between a man and a woman. Yeah. Not a man and a man. Yeah. Um, that is, that's my understanding of it as I sit here. Um, but they they didn't know whether I was gay or not, so it would be attempted sodomy. So right. once they took the once they once they took that away, because sodomy is just a subset of rape. Right. So right. Right. It's a man, a man between a man and a woman. So. Once they figured out I wasn't gay, they took away the sodomy charge. Okay, okay. And so I ended up, but it, it was burglary. So anyways, that was the DA's theory, you know. And all things happen for a reason, but mm -hmm. my thing, as I think I made pretty clear in the book, was I did a horrible, horrible thing, but that is not one of them. 
right. attempting to rape somebody was not right. one of them. Right. But part of our justice system is, you know, these DAs, they get a case and they lock their jaws on it, specifically the sex unit, and they want their conviction. And as far as, you know, I, I don't have any problems saying this. Someone could ask me, where's your evidence? And I would say, I don't have any. Mm-hmm. But I've heard from very strong people that are very in the business of criminal defense that the sex unit in L.A. gets their funding based on their conviction rates. And if they get a sex case and they don't make a conviction on a sex unit, then on a sex crime, then it doesn't count to their conviction rate. Mm-hmm. And I think that had a lot to do with why they would never give in. Because I was basically like, look, I'll take two strikes. I'll take assault. I'll take felony assault. I'll take burglary, the non-sex burglary. I'll take all that. Just don't give me a sex crime. Right. And it was, they wouldn't do it. Even when the judge said, look, this is not, this key clearly went in there in a fugue state. Yeah. He clearly went in there to have sex, but with the way he went and got a hundred dollars. Yeah. But so that's, that is, that's why that happened. Um, when you say, you know, everything happens for a reason or the way it's meant to, do you really think that in terms of your story? Is, is that yeah. hard oh, to yeah. reconcile? Uh, no, no. Why then? Why did this happen? I, you know, my energy around my sex addiction was was super laden with horrible guilt. Mm-hmm. I brought that energy into my story. The way it happened was bizarre and crazy. What happened and, and that, that there was terrible consequences is not bizarre. You know, is not crazy. It, it is what is the natural consequences of my actions. When you're a blackout drinker and a sex addict, bad things can happen. Right. Bad things did happen. Yeah. Is it bizarre the way it happened for me? Yes. Could the guy had a gun and blow my head off that night? Yes. Right. Could I have killed him? Yes. So it's hard for me to, you know, I, I'm a... It's you know I, I truly believe it's done unto you as you believe it to be true, and I believed some horrible things about myself, and I didn't get over my childhood just because I was a lawyer. I didn't get over those things, and so I was grinding away on some pretty heavy shit, and you know it happened. And know. this was necessary to force you to. Do you think something less intense would maybe not have? gotten you to change your life? Well, I knew it had to be between a felony DUI. It, it is greater than a felony DUI, right? Less than dying. And less than uh, assault with intent to commit rape. Right. <laughs> Somewhere right. in there, maybe. Right. But uh, obviously, I didn't get the message after the yeah. felony DUI. Yeah. I mean, the message I got was, move somewhere where you can walk to drink. Yeah. And um, But I had terrible guilt. I, I was not one of these people that was just like, party on, let's do this. I lived in a horrible circumstances when I grew up as a result of addiction. I knew what those things were. I wanted a wholesome life. I wanted to be boring. I wanted mm-hmm. to be the guy who married my teacher, fiance, my, my, you know, my first Girlfriend. angel. Right, right, right. And, uh, and get a nice job and have a picket fence and you right. know, that thing. I did not want to be party guy sex addict right. maniac. That was not me. I wanted to be wholesome. And that's what I originally wanted to write the book. I wanted to name the book Wholesome. Because <laughs> that's what I really wanted. I still, you know, I'm boring. I did not want that shit. I, I'm, I'm not a party guy. So why I did that, um, I was scared, you know. 
Your title, by the way, is amazing, and you sort of have to be in the know to get why it's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But but when I've been talking about it, that's what everyone said. They're like, "Oh my god, that title, uh, Straight Pepper Diet." You know what I get on Am- when you go on Amazon? Yeah. And you get the ads that come up. Yeah. They're all diet ads. Oh, that's hilarious! <laughs> you mean you've been googling yourself a little bit? Um, you know, oh, yeah. Google Alert comes up. Um, that's <laughs> so funny. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's great um, and original. And you know, I'm just going to say a part of our literature that isn't brought up ever. But that's why, like, it was. But we all know it. You know, some people do. Some people, I'm always shocked when people that are, are in, like, what is in recovery mean? are like, "What is straight pepper diet?" Well, it's a good test of who is working it. Um, But, um, (laughs) but yeah, but um, so and so, uh, you know, and the other reason, you know, I know I keep saying this, but like my expectation as a reader was that you would get off is in recovery. And, you know, I even remember when I went to rehab, I went to rehab with one of my dealers, which was fun. Um, (laughs) But, you know, you constantly would hear about like, you know, and then they got this person and they just took it so seriously that this person was now in recovery and, you know, I never heard about a crime as severe as, severe as yours. So, you know, the expectation yeah. is always like, and you get sober and then like, oh my God, the world just rewards you for that. And, right. Um, you know. Oh, man. Troubles, you know, flit away. And that, talk about resentments. I mean, when I first got, when I first got sober and I was in the rooms and I was going through all this hell, you know, I was practicing law while living in rehab. Right. And living in a sober living and, you know, doing a full-on law practice, you know. Right. And going and hearing these stories about people just doing these horrendous things and not never getting arrested, nothing. Right. And just being like, I've, I've probably drunk and drived four times in my entire life. Right. right. And one of them is a felony DUI. And the other two are probably point, you know, oh nines. Right. Like, I w- I'm very conservative not in my views, but in my um, my political views, but in my personal life, I, given my senses, given my faculties, I will always be the careful person because mm-hmm. I'm like the not. I don't jaywalk. Like I'm right. careful. Right. You know, because I grew up in a in a world of of uh, you know when you grow up in a world where things aren't safe, you know. Right, you crave then the you opposite. you kind of crave the opposite. When you grow up in a world where things are always taken care of and everything, it's a little different. Mm-hmm. You know? So I didn't have that. So I'm like, so to put myself in these situations is bizarre. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I um, And so in terms of uh, recovery from the sex addiction and alcoholism, those sort of happen simultaneously? Yeah, well, I, you know, it wasn't... It wasn't a uh, a straight line, but mm-hmm. they were both, you know, the, the massage parlors were the first to go, mm-hmm. then the one night stands, then the pornography. Mm-hmm. So those kind of went along the route of sobriety. I mean, I stopped drinking. That, that was the last time I ever had a drink. Mm-hmm. That was not the last time I ever watched pornography right. or even went to a massage parlor or uh, right. crazily enough as in the book. Um, because there's, you know, there's such stress relief in that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's intense. And, you know, there's this thing, too, of like, like heroin addicts always talk about, or like other people, like your dopamine gets blown out. Yeah. The same thing happens with sex. Right. I used to joke around with ex-girlfriends, like, oh, let's have sex. Go get the monkeys and the, and the uh, car battery. You know? Right, I mean, right. You know, that I need to be able to have an orgasm, you know. Right. So it takes time to uh, rebuild those 
receptors or whatever they're did that called. and that has happened or yeah. is it still a challenge it's happened 90 percent mm-hmm. you know like i'm not uh but i abstain from that stuff mm-hmm. you know because i just i used to have a lot of judgment about it for other people and now i don't i'm kind of over that mm-hmm. as i think kind of happens naturally in all subjects you know with uh recovery i, I do think pornography's can be horribly damaging for society but that's for another podcast but yeah anyway um but yeah yeah so yeah it, but you know it takes time to rebuild those and you know i was reading i saw something in the news the other day about like the average person oh it was on it was on john oliver you watch john oliver? yeah 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 you know he's talking about the average person has six sex with six people before they get married uh-huh you know and i was thinking like i probably have had sex with probably 600 people right you know right and that's going to affect you. you know? Yeah. It's going to affect you. And uh, especially when a good chunk of those are professionals. Yeah. Yeah. They do things that normal people don't do. Yeah. You know, just like in pornography, like people don't do that. That's yeah. not what someone says to you or right. that's not, you know. Even that little trick. Yeah. Yeah. Normal people don't do that. Yeah. I'm interested in that <laughs> yeah, trick. No, no. Um, you know, it does seem to me, you know, I have a lot less, well, I have no firsthand experience and a lot less knowledge about sex addiction, but it does seem to me, this may be a totally ignorant thing to say, that, you know, um, when it comes to alcohol and drugs, often the obsession is just removed. Yeah. And that's the great miracle. Right. And that uh, sex addiction, it can just be more of an ongoing struggle. It's not this clean, wow, this part of my brain feels like it's gone. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like food, right? Because you, yeah, you have to eat yeah. and you have to have sex. I guess you don't have to have sex. But right. there's some programs that they actually have abstinence for a certain amount. Yeah, time, yeah. You know, I never did that. No, mm-hmm. I did do that, but for like several months. Did you do in the program? You yeah. did that program. Yeah, yeah. And that's very much about everybody has their own bottom lines. I know right, that. Right, right, right. I've done a few of those, and eh, yeah, it's, I kind of put everything into the the big the big show, the big boat umbrella. After a while, I kind of dabbled in all the different. I've probably been to I don't know ten a anonymous programs. And, yeah. And now I only do one. No, uh, I, I do you two. do two. Yeah, nicotine. Nicotine, yeah. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's just to give back. That's really not because I can. I can fold that into the the big umbrella. You know. Yeah, yeah. But I do that one because there's something special about that one. I feel like I really, I'm really of service to people in that program. Well, it's very underserved because there are so many people like me who go through and are like, yeah, screw that, I'm fine. Right, right. And also, so few people use it to quit smoking. It always surprises me. It's unbelievable. Right? They just quit. I mean, not everybody I knew smoked when I was new. Yeah. And without, there's one exception, everybody quit. Right. right. Whole turkey, whatever, you know. Yeah, I couldn't do that, so God bless them. Yeah, I couldn't either. So, and so, um, practicing law is, is out. Out. You know, I don't want to get too much into the literature, but you did mention... Uh, a story uh, among our li- literature of the, about a pilot who got right. his license back, right. and so that I think that led me to believe like anything's possible. A pilot, yeah, is responsible for people's lives, right, right. But there's no possibility. But people like pilots. <laughs> oh yeah, we don't like lawyers unless we need them. Right. Um, we'll see. I'm I'm in the process of, of visiting that. Really. I. I mean, I had to get right with myself before I could go 
and fight for myself. Mm -hmm. you know, I had to get into a place where I could say the truth about what happened and who I am and before I could go fight for it and I'm kind of at that place now. So, so you know, can, it is possible. It's possible, it's unlikely without some change in the system mm -hmm. um, with regard to the sex offense stuff. Right, right. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I, I help with this uh, lady, Janice Belushi, who is a part of this thing called RSOL, which is Reformed Sex Offender Laws. Mm -hmm. And so she's involved in that stuff. And, you know, she tells me stories about people that have done this and that and have gotten their bar licenses back. Uh, my situation is not as likely because it has a violent element to it. Mm -hmm. And it's, a, uh, it's not a crime that can be rehabilitated under the law. But, um, yeah. And so what, um, what have you been doing these 12 years? You mentioned being in production. I was in production, and, I, and, I, and by in production, I mean like I carried tents around and chairs for, as a PA for a long time. Wow. I did some PA work. I did some uh, real low-budget like production design and wardrobe and stuff like that and wrote and um, just little stuff like that. And then I got a job at this, this is funny, I got a job at a Fortune 500 company. Mm -hmm. So, I this company that uh, does rebar, they do all the big um, uh, high rises and stuff mm -hmm. like this. They did this. Uh, the rebar. They mm -hmm. probably probably about a one in three chance they did this building. Right. And they needed a, a contract manager, and so I so my friend is a friend that knew about this and told me to apply for it. And I'm like, are you fucking crazy? I'm two strike felon, registered sex offender. You think a Fortune 500 company is going to hire me? So I went and interviewed, and they asked me about that stuff, and I said, well, I have a, I would always say I have an assault crime, and I'm disbarred. But they knew that I, you know, basically they're hiring a, you know, a doctor at Nurse Price, you know. Mm -hmm. So they liked me, and uh, they did the back, they hired me, and I wrote a letter kind of locking them in, saying, I'm quitting all these other jobs, so right. we're locked in. Right. And they get the they get their actual report back, the, the background check back, and they call me all panicked, just like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. what are you, what is, what happened? Like, who are you? Like, right. And so I, so I gather the letters, and I, you know, I do what I always do in this situation, and I gather, you know, I get the judge's transcript where he basically says, you know, you don't deserve this, and you shouldn't be this, but life sucks and here we are so they hired me so I so I'm like uh, which is just still blows my mind I worked for this company for three years I was a, I, I got hired by it, if there's a god this is an example of it because I was broke and desperate and I got hired I'm a two strike felon registered sex offender disbarred lawyer and I got hired by a fortune 500 company as their contract manager That's doing a contract I did the contract for the um, Carmageddon job, the, mm -hmm. the largest construction job, and largest rebar job in probably California history, the 405 redo, you know, it's like wow. a billion, half a billion dollars. <laughs> it was just, but I was good, I was very good at it, I mean, if you didn't know that about me, but they kept it hidden, because right. the corporate versus the local branch, they, if corporate ever found out, they'd well, be Well, why should leave? The economic downturn, they, it was the construction industry and they laid off about two-thirds of their workforce. Mm -hmm. They had 15,000 employees in 2009, I think, it, or 2009? No, 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 2007, right before the crash, and then by 2010, they were down like 5,000. Mm -hmm. So I was the last wave of 
laid off. Mm-hmm. Just so ironic because I've never been laid off or fired in a job in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And I do the best job ever for this company mm-hmm. and I get laid off. Right. You know, it's kind of like it the same with women. You know, it's like I, when I was a total asshole, like just sex addict, alcoholic. You got the greatest women ever. Yeah, and, and even some of the same exact women were like, no, nah, I'm not really interested now that you're sober and like a really nice guy. Like, not really interested. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I've experienced a little bit of that myself. It's very, very strange. So Which way? You, the, are the you like, the attractor or the detractor? No, the like, the like, never have I been more heartily pursued than when I was the biggest nightmare. Right, right, right. Alcoholic, <laughs> uh, emotionally abusive, worst girlfriend of the year kind right. of stuff. The Al-Anon guys trying to fix you? That And they weren't that even Al-Anon guys. I mean, even in my perception now with all this sobriety and stuff like right. that, no, they were just like good guys who weren't even trying yeah they were trying to do a little saving but like but like the normal amount not the codependent amount um but so and so what are you doing now uh well i just wrote a book you did you did how (laughs) Uh, long did it take you to write the book once i got down to business i got laid off from that job i just told you about and Mm -hmm. then once i got down to business about a year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i would write for like four hours a day Mm -hmm. and then yeah about a year um, oh, and just to, so prison, uh, so how long were you in for in all? Only like, uh, almost four months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For very long months. For very intense, long months. But, they, you know, I think everyone says that those are the best chapters in the book, so. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, it was crazy. Dave and I were talking about that. Our mutual friend and I were reading it at the same time, but he oh. was ahead of me. And oh, so oh. we were talking about it. I was like, wait, you get to Chino. Um, but, but yeah, and in there, you know, you talk about your, your cellmate making Pruno. Yes, yes. And, um, snorting your Wellbutrin. Yeah, Wellbies. Which... Wellby rails. You know, I've been on Wellbutrin. It didn't do anything at all. That's like the one that, you know, most people are like, I don't know, I didn't feel it. I didn't feel any better. But... Apparently, if you snort it, it's a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. So, you're not a, um, believer in any medication you know even SSRIs and that kind oh, of thing oh no 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 I have no opinion for yourself on that. oh for me yeah, yeah. No. for me I'm like yeah I can take Wellbutrin and I will if I meditate pray go to meetings reach out to newcomers go to Agape uh, every week I will feel the same way I feel when I take uh, Wellbutrin mm-hmm. <laughs> but I choose to do all this stuff. Right. You don't so, know that, but that's how... I've done both, and they... And they but you both, felt exactly the same. They feel about the same, you know, Wellbutrin really? makes you feel amazing, like... Does know, it? I... It worked for me. I did. I took Wellbutrin, and I was just like, wow, I'm $150,000 in debt and have no job prospects, and I'm, you know, terrified of people finding out about my sex offender status, and but I feel okay. great. I think that's a highly unusual reaction yeah. to any, you know, any of these drugs that aren't, you know, sort of changing us immediately from your head up. Wellbutrin worked for me, but I... That's so interesting that you yeah. wouldn't want that, you know, sort of the thinking that, like, you know, we've stripped away a lot of stuff. Life is hard. Why wouldn't I want that? You know, if it works for you. And the, most of the people I know who've been on antidepressants of any kind who don't, they didn't work. They had terrible side effects. They didn't ju- yeah. say like, "Oh, this worked," and I'm making a choice not to do it. Yeah, that's that was my experience with Wellbutrin. I just don't. I, there's long-term testing on that stuff. It has not. There's not enough time to tell us what it is. I can't imagine it doesn't affect your brain chemistry. 
Um, just I just was like, if I can survive without it in a reasonable way, and I have all these great tools mm -hmm. to deal with it, then I'd rather do that. Yeah. And so that was kind of my choice. It was not a close call. It wasn't like I wasn't weighing it. But right, it was, right. But I, that's basically what, and I think that's one of the reasons I've stayed very, very active in my spiritual life, because I kind of have to, to stay alive, like, or to stay worth living, you mm -hmm. know? Like, mm -hmm. it's hard, like, you know, in criminal, I have a degree in criminal justice and we learned about labeling theory. And labeling theory is like they always talk about when you have a juvenile delinquent, you try your best not to give him a criminal conviction as long as possible because once you label him a criminal, it affects the way they see themselves. And so that's the whole thing with the, you know, keeping juveniles out mm -hmm. of the criminal justice system as much as possible. So when you get registered, when you get registered and you're labeled a sex offender, like it really F's you. Yeah, and it messes with your head. You walk. I mean, I walked around terrified. I mean, right. I would. I have to register every uh, day on my on my birthday. I have to register within five days of my birthday every year, in a downtown. It's part of the registration. Process. You go downtown, go downtown and you say, take your thing, take your fingerprint, take a picture of you. I would be debilitated for a week before and a week after. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember my my girlfriend at the time, my my kind of spiritual teacher, mm -hmm. Tracy, mm -hmm. what would just be like, you know, just filling me full of, you know, uh, spiritual stuff mm -hmm. to get me prepared for that and, and afterwards and like, you know, it's taken time. The last time I went and registered, which wasn't that long ago because I just moved, you have to register every time you move too. Mm -hmm. I walked in there with my head held high because I just now know I, I'm okay with my story and I'm, mm -hmm. not, I'm no longer terrified of it, you know, I'm, I'm just... I'm obviously I'm here telling you it's gonna yeah. be all on the internet that hey I'm yeah. a registered sex offender and because yeah. I I mean I you know I, I want I don't know what I want to but the reality is I'm kind of the your mama's favorite registered sex offender right. you know what I'm saying right. I mean poster like child. like yeah I'm we, a poster child for, you know like hey and I went to Twin Towers and went to the sex pod and I realized that 99 percent of the people that are in there are in there for a very good reason yeah so it's not like I'm saying those people don't deserve to be whatever but there are some of us who don't shouldn't be on the list and there's also people who have done their time and you know the idea that you're gonna label somebody something for the rest of their life is pretty heavy-duty yeah and you ought to take that seriously and the idea that we have over a hundred thousand people in California registered sex offenders when maybe one percent of those people we actually probably should be watching. Really, that's what you think? Just one percent? Maybe. Wow. I mean, the recidivism rates are lies. We know that now. All the recidivism rates that they talked about in order to get these laws passed in the first place are all lies. The recidivism rate for sex offenders is no greater than any other population. Um, the the addiction model of, of the sex offenses really only applies to um, child certain child molesters, mm -hmm. not rapists. Very few rapists fall into that model. And it's used as a political ploy by mostly legislatures to get voted so they can seem tough on crime. Nobody mm -hmm. ever wants to be the politician who, who said, let's lower the sex offense things. You know, they just get higher and higher and higher. So what causes people then to, it's, it's a one-time... You mean people committing the crime? Yeah. It's no, 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 I'm not saying people don't, oh, I mean the same reason they commit any crime, but I'm just saying that the sex registration doesn't prevent crime. Okay, yeah. You know, it's not, not a recidivism. It doesn't, it doesn't prevent recidivism. Right, right, right. The recidivism rate isn't particularly high. 
it costs a lot of money. And if you if you want to protect society, focus laser light focus on the people who are in true dangers. Right. And those are mostly child molesters, um, and all the other people on the they're just taking. I mean, even law enforcement says this at this point. Even I think the Lacey, the DA, I think at least I don't want to misquote, but I think this DA or the previous DA even came out in LA saying this is crazy. We've got all these people, we can't keep an eye on all these people. Most of them are not a danger. We need to keep an eye on these people, but we don't have time. We, right. When we have people registering all day long, I mean, right. imagine how long it takes to uh, register 100,000 people. Yeah. Once yeah. one, once a year, you know, they have to come in. It's, it's a crazy system that I'm a part of. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, we have to wrap up, but it's a, it's a crazy, fascinating story. People uh, should definitely buy the book. Where can they get it? Uh, Amazon, uh, right now it's in local bookstores in LA, Skylight, mm-hmm. Stories, and I don't know where else, but mm-hmm. uh, mostly on Amazon and ebook, and, uh, Kindle and such, but hopefully in every bookstore in America soon. Yes, well, after, <laughs> after you came on here, for sure yes. will be. So it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. It's awesome. So yeah, the After Party Pod with Joseph Naus. Still hope that's how you pronounce his name. Go get his book, Straight Pepper Diet. And keep listening and keep reviewing and four-starring and all of those things. And I will talk to you soon.